Hello and welcome to Speak Your Truth and Look Good Doing It podcast. My name is Camila, or as you've seen me online, Maria Camila. I'm a brand strategist, photographer, and videographer. This work is about amplifying the visibility of conscious leaders and brands who are wanting to leave this world better than they found it. This podcast is about letting ourselves be seen, both physically and spiritually, and highlighting the nuances we experience as we are growing both personally and professionally. Thank you for being here, and let's go ahead and dive in. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Delight to have you here as per usual. I uh, wanted to let you know I'm going to be coming out with travel dates for 2024. Some of the cities I want to make it to are Miami, New York City. I would like to make it to Columbia or somewhere else international around the area. So if you are around the area, let me know whether that's for photography or video. Yeah, let me know. Or if you have retreats, uh, retreats are something that I book on a case-to-case, on a case-by-case basis. But if you're an entrepreneur, if you've been looking at my work, if you're resonating with the work that I'm doing, just connect with me and let me know. And of course, Arizona people, I'm always available to work with you. So let me know. You can book directly is through my Instagram, just book a call with me, or if you're just ready to go, feel free to shoot me a DM and we'll get things going for you. Okay, now today's episode is gonna be with my lovely friend and confidant and just a person I look up to. I learned so much from them. They're just amazing. Uh, my friend D Nansala, I hope I'm saying your last name right, D. And previously known as Dinova, but her she has now changed her last name. So I hope I pronounced it correctly. And I wanted to have Dee on the podcast because Dee, so she's from South Africa. And although she works, her line of work is D-E-I-N-B. And what that stands for is diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging. And she works at an organizational level and in the corporate space and... I resonate with her from being an immigrant or being a person that we have similar types of work. And although mine is more on the social media entrepreneurial space, hers is more in the corporate space. And she's also a coach and consultant for leaders. So people leaders, anybody that leads other people. And I really wanted to get her perspective on just talking about race matters or topics of equity and belonging and inclusion in a team environment, in a corporate space, or responsibility that we have for ourselves or for leaders. I felt that this conversation was important to have because sometimes I think that conversations about uh, justice get clouded or they've gotten a bad rap with people saying, Oh, I didn't like I I am divorcing from the cult of wokeness and how wokeness has it's like it, it came on really passionate although there was like an underbelly to social justice work. But something I want to say is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
And what I say was that is that there is some important work to be done. And it's a conversation I'm not going to shy away from. A lot of people I know are very nervous about this kind of work. And understandably so. I mean, I think things are really tense on social media. I also realized that I got into this line of work when I was in college back in 2011. And even though I'm a college dropout, but for a significant amount of time, I my major was ethnic studies, which is... In other words, is diversity and inclusion, which now is what D does, um, which is diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging. And all of those terms have their own um, understanding and depth. Anyways, and so yeah, I've been doing this work and I started learning about just justice work in general, whether it was through gender or socioeconomic status or race or immigration status to say the least there's so many identities that human beings have Uh, but I started doing that line of work when I was in college and I was super captivated by it it changed my life and that's when I started seeing the world from a different perspective where it wasn't just about self-responsibility is when I started learning that hey there are more variables at play that allow for a group of people to succeed and allow for some group of people to or or make it harder for other people to succeed and it's a nuanced conversation and I'm fascinated by it I have been studying this work for over 10 years now and it's a huge passion of mine it's a huge value of mine it is literally why I do what I do with my business in providing visibility to anybody that's been marginalized you could be marginalized for many reasons whether it's a disability your immigration status being a single parent and many other identities it's not just because of race and I'm it's again it's my passion it's what I studied for a long time but I also realized that social media has blown up this conversation and I also feel like it doesn't get the attention it deserves for us to actually mobilize and move forward and change the world because people are looking at things at face value from what they see on social media or uh, people getting canceled or celebrities getting canceled and not understanding the depth of why this work exists and Sometimes I get a little frustrated when I hear leaders that are so scared to get in trouble for speaking up against injustice. And But there's also a part of me that's like, well, maybe they've never been oppressed in a certain way. Or maybe they haven't studied this work in a certain type of depth. And I want to provide this conversation to educate a little more. And I'm... I'm also doing it because I think me sitting in bitterness and annoyance of leaders when they don't use their privilege for good, I'm thinking, you know what, let's use this podcast as a place to educate and to leave my grain of sand in making it easier for people to understand this line of work. And the other thing is that I was thinking about, Like, why do I feel courageous in speaking up about this? Why is it that I don't have the fears that other people do? 
And something I wanted to tell you is that I realized that I do experience fear. Like sometimes, even as I was recording this podcast with D, I was thinking to myself, like there, there's a part of me that feels like this conversation could go very right or I could just be getting roasted <laughs> by other people heavily. And I realized that I kind of signed that contract in my head prior to sharing online on social media. I just, I just make a decision like, you know what? This may be great or it may not be great, but I just have to stay true to my gut instincts and whatever comes of this, I will learn and I will get better. And my self-worth is not based on other people's projections of me. I know I'm inherently worthy. So if I know that I'm inherently worthy, then that means I have free range to express myself and be passionate about it, the work that it is that I'm doing. And yeah, I do experience that little fear of, ooh, maybe I'm expressing too much. But I just want to tell you that you feeling that fear is part of the journey. It's become a habit at this point to confront that fear. But I don't see it as a reason for me to not take up space, to not share my voice, to not have conversations. I just see it as like, this is just part of the human experience. This is part of growth. This is what it looks like. And it's, it doesn't always feel that painful. Like when I think of that fear, I'm kind of over it now. But I definitely felt it. So I do want to validate those queries that some people have of being scared to speak up because they're scared they're going to get canceled or or that white people just get roasted online sometimes if they say racially insensitive things, which is a very valid fear. That's uh, I don't blame you when you feel a lot of projections of other people coming at you. Although I do want to remind you that Sometimes feeling the projections of strangers on the internet, like you will survive that. And you will also, sometimes like your butt is not on the chopping block, like someone who doesn't have the same privileges as you does. So something to consider. All right. Now, without further ado, I'm going to let you listen to the episode. Thank you so much for being here. If anything here stands out to you, please let us know on social media. You can tag D. I will put our information below on the show notes so you can tag her and tag myself as well. Please repost it on social media. It's what helps this work spread. It's not just about me and D. It's truly about making this world a little better. And I really believe that this conversation that we had was so helpful. So please, if you can, also do your part in helping us out. Other than that, thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. All right. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. And today I have an amazing guest. I have my friend and confident and just expert is Dee Nova, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Tell me about your line of work, where you come from, and just what we need to know about you. Absolutely. Hi, everybody. By the way, that was a great intro. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, my name is Dee, and I am the owner of Nova Consulting. I am a consultant and a coach 
Most of the work that I do is in organizational development and everything that I do is rooted in D-I-E-N-B. That's just how I show up in all the spaces that I'm in. Honestly, Camilla, if I were to say, like, give my purpose in the space, um, like put words to it, I believe in creating spaces that are inclusive for all people to thrive and not only helping companies do that, but helping leaders foster that, right, with their own teams. So a lot of my my work is just centered around that, you know, create mm-hmm. the space, welcome people in with diverse backgrounds, be inclusive, be equitable in how you treat people and how you manage them, and then make sure that everyone belongs to this space that you've created. And then you as a leader, how do you manage yourself so you can manage others? So much packed in there i love it and need it though right because like we do live in a world where there are places that say they are diverse and inclusive and then you get there and it's like oh it's a numbers game right and and anyone that's of color that has been in a predominantly white space knows exactly what that feeling is like and i i believe the intentions of companies wanting to be inclusive is it's it's genuine right they there's so much research around how much more productive inclusive and diverse spaces are right it's just how do we make sure that in that inclusive inclusivity and diversiveness we are making sure that people belong and we are treating we are meeting people where they are and that's where that equity piece comes in yeah it's like the difference between fitting in and belonging which oh yeah yeah they're different and and also for the people that don't know dei and b is diversity equity inclusion and belonging. Boom, boom, boom. You got it. Get it all. And yes. yeah. <laughs> and then another thing, part that's about you is that you are from South Africa, right? Oh, yes. Born and raised in South Africa. I moved to the US in my early 20s and I've literally spent my entire adult life here. So, yeah. Yeah. So amazing. Tell me more as what inspired you to get into this line of work, specifically of the DIEMB and being a people leader. Tell me more is what inspired that. Uh, being a people leader just kind of happened as a natural progression of my career. And I mean, t- well, then to be quite honest, I was also the little girl that was often described as bossy. <laughs> like, first of all, it's assertive, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, growing up in South Africa, I mean, I grew up with black parents that were both professionals. Um, and I grew up in a predominantly black country, right? So moving to the U.S. and as an adult, and, I, and I'd worked in South Africa too, like, my workplace was very diverse. Like that was the whole country is very diverse like that. So seeing the stark difference in American corporate culture, I was like, whoa, this is interesting. And then also just seeing like the dynamics, the power dynamics and the respectability politics are a little bit different. I mean, and, and I'm not saying South Africa is like this kumbaya by the fire. Everybody's fine. No, that's we, we still have issues back there. But it, as someone that came from that environment here, it was very glaring, right? And then as I moved up in my career, I noticed that when I was an entry-level employee, you had more color. And the more you went up, the non-colored it got. <laughs> and it started to get very white. Um, and I remember at, at some point, I was working for this company and I realized that in the building, in the building, from a leader perspective, I was one of three black people in the entire building. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this this is interesting, right? Yeah. And, then, and, then the, and then there'd be instances where I would have to 
prove my worth and prove why I was invited and prove why I was there. And it just got very exhausting. And I thought to myself, I I would have loved at that point to have who I am now to people, like have a person of color that totally gets this. Because and and, I, and no shade to my previous leaders, right? I've 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 been blessed to work some for some truly amazing human beings, right? I've been mentored. Most of my mentors are white people. Actually, all my mentors so far have been white. Um, specifically, right? And I've grown and developed a lot underneath them, but they're just certain elements of my experience that they'll never be able to relate to, regardless of how I convey them, right? They can empathize, but they can't relate. And that's the difference. So having someone that relates was really something that I wished I had. And um, yeah, so that's that's kind of why I found myself here. I was in coaching and development in corporate. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, Sure, I do this for these companies that I work for, but if I'm experiencing this and if my peers that I'm talking to that are people of color experiencing this, there's obviously a need outside of this structure that I currently work for, for the service. And that's when I decided to just start my own company. Yeah. And you know what? You had me thinking when you say, Mm -hmm. I feel like I had something to prove, like as you were going up the ranks in leadership in corporate or whatever. And I just want to know if you could expand more, like what are the drawbacks of being in an environment where and maybe, maybe it could be subconscious of feeling like you have something to prove. It's like, I what, what, what are like that? How does that affect in two ways? The person yeah. who's on the receiving end of maybe overdoing themselves or perhaps also how does it affect on an organizational and leadership level when people are like ha- coming to work with that attitude of, oh, I just really need to like prove myself. Yeah. So and I don't, I don't know if it's the same for like the next folks, but I know. I'll, OK, I'll just center it around myself. Actually, let me not make general statements. Mm-hmm. I have always felt until very recently, by the way, maybe like three, four years ago. I had my work personality and my home personality, like, and those two people were very different, right? So, like, yeah, I was showing up a little bit authentically, <laughs> like, just enough to not feel like I'm completely fake and not being myself at work. But there are just certain things that I would often tolerate, like the microaggressions, because I didn't want to be that angry black woman at work. And it got to a point actually where I could no longer tolerate those things, right? Like the the mm-hmm. The weight of taking the microaggressions just got so bad that I was crying every day on my way home, leaving work. I was having anxiety attacks. I remember once I I had taken time off. um, I was totally burnt out at this point. I I had taken time off and I had an anxiety attack in the parking lot in the morning. And I literally was questioning myself. I'm like, Dee, is this really worth it? And I was like, girl... They moved you out here. You're going to have to pay the $10,000 if you leave. <laughs> so I got myself together and I went upstairs. You know what I mean? Only mm-hmm. to be met with a, like a major microaggression. Like starting my day, the office manager complained that I did not say good morning to her. But she didn't tell me. She called my boss to tell my boss that I had not said hi to her. And then my boss entertained that. And I'm like, what are we doing it's such like a spiraling moment. Dude. And, and, and another thing, just real yeah. quick, just, and this is for people that don't know like this jargon of like uh, microaggressions, yes. which microaggressions are basically, and feel free to 
correct me too, but it's basically like little backhanded compliments that people don't understand that they're harmful, but they actually, over a cumulative time, it like it really, like you said, it gives the person panic attacks. It's actually quite harmful, even though they're like these small little thousand cuts of racial people's ignorance that yes consciously or unconsciously just start getting to a person over time sure that that is that that is actually a very good description of it. that's exactly what a microaggression is right it's, it's 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 those little jabs that after a certain amount of time they, they just feel like a punch in the throat because they've just been like accumulating and there's been no repair in between right because it's one thing to have a little jab but then if you are vocal about it have that moment be received well and then actually talk about it and then have people change their behavior but there are there are going to be instances and this is what i went through back then where i was vocal about it and it was totally ignored and at that point you then start to feel isolated right and then you go from being this person that's super outgoing and super engaging to now being withdrawn to now no longer be engaged and just simply be like this is just for a check and granted there are people that do go to work just for a check but if you're someone that is not that way it is it is a huge disservice to yourself and the company actually for you to find yourself there right because now now we're we're no longer benefiting from you showing up as your best self at work now we're just getting whatever you give us and it it just creates a a, it just creates a very weird dynamic altogether and it's totally it's totally preventable um but yeah so and and with with the microaggressions and leadership not handling them um, quickly enough or properly, it it creates this other level to your job. Job people's jobs are already stressful, right? Not, I mean, if you don't have a stressful job, I love that for you, right? But <laughs> more power to you. Yeah, I mean, and, and, I mean, I love what I do, but even in me loving what I do, there are times when I'm just like, oh my god, help me out. You know what I mean? But like, it 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 goes from having a healthy amount of stress because of just the job. To now you have the stress of the job, which is a healthy amount, to now this added level of stress, which is just very much people related. And as human beings, we thrive more when we are in community and feel safe in said community to be creative, to be innovative. And that's what companies say they want. But we're just not getting it right as far as creating those environments. Yeah. And so, and therefore that's why you, so you now are higher up in these companies and within that line of work of DIEMB, you were saying to be that person is for the, the person that you wish you had when you were in the early stages of your career. 100%. Be, like, to not be the person that I can I can talk to a leader and be like, okay, fine. So if there's a performance issue with your team, if your team is underperforming, it's always going to be one of a couple of issues. It's either going to be a leadership issue, a culture issue, a system issue, or a process issue, Right. So if we've ruled out everything else that is a leadership and culture issue, that's something that I can work with a leader on. Your systems issues, okay, that, that's a quick fix, <laughs> right? But oftentimes people are just like, no, people don't want to work. And it's like, no, people actually do want to work because people do want to get money. We need money. <laughs> we, yeah. we live in a world where money is a necessary thing. So nobody just doesn't want to work. They may just not want to work for you. And sometimes that's hard for people to hear, right? And I wouldn't say that like, well... I'm trying to think. I'm like, well, it depends on the relationship that I have with the person, right? But like, if we if we're comfortable enough, we're like, no problem. You know what I mean? But yeah, pe- people do want to work, 
people generally want to work, but we already live in an environment where oftentimes people are already underpaid for very demanding jobs. So that right there, if you were to look at it as like a, I don't know, a cup where you throw little coins, that's already like an extraction of a coin, right? So you're underpaying me and you're demanding a lot from me. That's an extraction of a coin. You're underpaying me and you're demanding a lot of me and you're just not generally not pleasant. That's about two, three coins coming out the pot. Yeah. Right. So if 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 leaders try to look at at how they treat their teams, um, how they engage with their teams, how they build their teams and kind of like help them inspire them to want to do better and perform better and then create an environment where it's safe to do that, that helps build on that relationship equity with your team. Yeah. I was actually gonna ask you maybe a question related to that. If yeah. there is like a cultural issue or like an issue of like belonging in an organization. Cause a question that I had was someone asked me the other day, it's like, why is it that there are no places for white people, but there are specific places for Latinos or there's specific places for uh, black people in environments or uh, special places for whatever mar- disabled people, mar- whatever marginalized group. Yeah. And, but I, I guess my question to you is, are places like that needed in organizations? Like, do that, does that play a role in, I don't know, making the culture better? Or just tell me even your thoughts or what is a re- something you've implemented in the past that has helped a company's culture when they're having an issue like that? Um, so the, I, I'm pulling two things from that one question. Let's, let's address the white spaces. Mm-hmm. If you live in America, every space is a white space by default. Every space is a white space, so much so that minority groups need to create their own safe spaces outside of whiteness, right? Where they don't have to manage being the minority in the white space. So to answer the person's question, anywhere you go in America, it's a white space. (laughs) It's a white space unless it's specifically designated and they say this is a latinx space this is a black space it is because those spaces had to be created because they were needed by those marginalized groups to have some sense of community and inclusivity outside of the white gaze right um and then the second question you asked is so what do we do when companies need to work on their culture i mean it 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 depends on what's needed right so if if someone says there isn't, well, let me ask you this question. Was that question related to the white space question? Yeah, or or if you, or is that, if that, I just, okay. I just think of, there was this uh, tech company that I know yeah. within the tech company, they had, uh, I forgot what the name was, but it was like. Uh, oh, like employee uh, resource groups? That yeah, just, but, it, yeah, but it was specifically for like. Uh, what was it called? It's not black students, but black employees yeah. within that area. In my mind, I'm like, do you think those places are effective? Because I know in like college campuses, you do see spaces like that. But I'm yes. thinking more from organizational levels. Is I'm like, is that something that's effective? And and also, what's something that you personally have done to repair culture? Maybe it wasn't even related to race. It was something else. I mean, the first step in, in, in repairing culture issues, it's just education, right? Because a lot of times people do things simply because they're just not aware of certain customs that they may be violating and interacting with people or just the weight of what they're doing. Like, and we spoke about microaggressions earlier on, right? So as 
as a black person who has had her braids tugged at in public, because it was so pretty. Don't do that. <laughs> right. But like, I had a choice in that moment. Do I whip around and be like, oh, nice. or do I be like, thank you. Next time, just ask. You know, like don't don't just grab somebody's hair because it looks pretty. That's that's a sense of entitlement, and that can be that is very much a violation of private of personal space, right? And that's why culture specific spaces are needed because, like, outside of it, that's what we're dealing with, right? There's just this like entitlement to engagement. No, no. And the unfortunate thing is, oftentimes when that does happen, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna share a story. Of why, and it 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 can relate to race or gender or whatever. Um, there was an incident that happened. Um, nationally, mm-hmm. and ERG, an employee resource group, hosted a meeting for black people because it was an incident that involved the police and a black person, right? And this employee resource group was open to obviously black people and their allies, right? And this is a space where black people are grieving and dealing with having to relive all this trauma. Yeah, right? wait, but when you say allies, you're talking allies of ERG or allies of black people allies. Yeah, like 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 allies of, of, of black people. Like okay, so okay. As, as as a person that's not black, you can join as an ally. So Got it's it. not it's not that like you're not allowed in this space at all, but you are allowed to join as an ally, understanding that this space is centered around black issues, right? Because mm-hmm. it's needed. An ally who happened to to be a white woman um, ended up taking about 30 minutes of an hour talking about her experience as someone that is dating a black man and has mixed children. Mm-hmm. And it's like, This is why we need spaces that don't intrude people sometimes. Because now here we are, in the midst of our own grief, we now have to make room to sympathize with you and your situation, which you have chosen. You choose to date black men. You chose to have mixed children. We don't choose to be black. Mm-hmm. Right? Black for us is not a choice. I don't wake up and be like, oh, I'm blickety black today. Like, that's, that's not something that happens. And when something like a police shooting or, you know, like that is trauma. Mm-hmm. It's trauma. And then because of social media and just how the news cycles work, it's almost like we don't even get a break mm-hmm. because wherever you turn, there's a video. And then when you finally get to a space where you're like, okay, fine, let me just be around other people that look like me that get this for someone to come in and then just suck up all the air out of the room and make it about themselves. That's harmful. You you may mean well, right? You may mean well. You may be like, I want to let you guys know that I understand. That's fine. This was just not the time to do that. I'm correct. So, no, and, and and it can be about anything. It can mm. be about anything. As a, as 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 a cis het person, if you were to walk into an LGBTQI space and then make everything about your experience based on your proximity to other like LGBTQ people, we love that for you. But right now was not the time. So it's it's just having white people or not, not just white people, 
having the majority understand that when minorities or the global majority have certain spaces for themselves, just be respectful. Just be respectful. It's 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 like going to and and mind you, not all ERGs are based on gender and race, right? Some ERGs are based on faith. Some ERGs, like employee research groups, around talking about ERGs. Mm-hmm. Some are not based on faith. There are some that are specific to like women in leadership. So imagine, perfect one. This one anyone can relate to. You are in a woman in leadership ERG and a male ally comes in and talks about how hard his day was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay. I'm sorry you had a bad day. We struggle being heard in meetings all the time. But okay, we're going to make this about you right now. We're going to sympathize with you having a bad day. So sorry about that. Mm -hmm. It's taxing. It's Mm -hmm. taxing. And it's just, it's exhausting. Yeah. Exhausting. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I'm like, man, I, uh, there's a part of me that just wants to be like, man, I just want to save this podcast and just send it to anybody that ever has questions that, because I've been asked these questions too. And I, it feels like labor explaining these things that, Sometimes in in my own way, I relate to it from like lived experience. And sometimes it can be hurtful to relive or explain to someone why a group may need a certain space. It's for the safety of that group, not for the exclusion of the majority group. And there's a part of me that just wishes I wish this podcast was like good. And then there were no more questions to have to be asked in the future. But it probably will happen again. And anyway. Part of our evolution is learning. At least I would love to believe that a lot of us do our best to learn from our experiences. So in learning, you're going to have questions, right? They're going to be things that just don't make sense. Um, And it's fine to ask questions. It's totally Mm -hmm. fine to ask questions. It's the tone in which you ask those questions that can sometimes just be unnecessary and at times just downright disrespectful, right? Um, Actually, now that we're talking about this, this makes me think about a video. And Mm -hmm. do you questions i i have thoughts tell me more tell me more i want to know about you it makes me think about this video that i just saw yesterday uh, <laughs> it was, okay i'm on tiktok this lady recorded a video of herself she's a screenshot it's a it's an ad for a palestinian kufia it was a white woman and she's like so i just want to know as a white woman if i wore this it would be cultural appropriation no Oh, is it no longer cultural appropriation? Excuse me. Because it's for Palestine and they want us to support Palestine. So does this mean that if I go out and buy this, and she called a kufia in Kush, she's, she's called a, a kopaya. It's like, if I go and buy this kopaya, does that now mean that I can get corn rolls? Does it mean I can get dreads? Does it mean I have to wear a hijab? And I'm just like, are you intentionally being dense? Yeah. <laughs> And hurtful and just pushing it for, but why? Why? Dance right now. I understand. So that's what I mean by like this. It's one thing to be curious. And it's another to try and make a point and like that really doesn't need to be made. No one invited you to wear a, to, to wear a hijab. And honestly, the invitation to support Palestine and Palestinian efforts by wearing a kufiya, you have the option to just swipe. Keep it moving. You don't have to engage. And just because one set of people invite you into a space, that is not an all-access pass to everything else. Right? Like, there's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> they invite it into a specific space. Say yes or no and keep it moving. 
don't make it like an all access pass to everything else. So no, you cannot wear your, I don't know, your Native American Halloween costume. People's cultures are not a costume. It's disrespectful, especially when people from the culture tell you it's harmful. Mm -hmm. So if people from a specific culture don't invite you into their practices, maybe ask. And if you have nobody to ask in your life that belongs to that culture, that's where the problem is. Mm -hmm. Maybe start by making friends in the culture. Maybe start learning about the culture through people that you know in real life. Seriously, that's... Because if you have friends in that space, you'd, you would never find yourself on the internet making a video like that. Because your friends would have told you, friend, no. Yeah, be, and, and I think that... I just think that with social justice, for example, I think there's so much that is now talked on social media and TikTok, but I think a lot of people just see it at face value and are just not understanding it and then they make videos like that. But I totally agree that when you are actually have diverse group of friends, <laughs> you you get it instead of like reacting and responding and continuing microaggressions even though it's virtual and online by making videos as such uh -huh. yeah yeah it's, it's it's very it's quite problematic it's hurtful and we don't live in a society where i feel like in previous generations everyone kept their cultural selves to within their homes and very like like their immediate um, community, right? The moment you stepped into the general public, which is the general space of whiteness, we would assimilate, right? And and that that's just kind of how that that was taught. But now you have this new generation of people that are just like, no, I I'm going to be proudly black, Latina, LGBTQ, whatever I am, I'm going to be proudly that everywhere I go. And we we we've, we've gotten messaging that yes, be proudly all those things wherever you go. Um, and even in saying that, someone once brought up, it's, it's come up a lot of times on social media, like, well, if I was to say I'm proudly white, that would be a problem. I don't know why I just did that with my voice. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, what, what, <laughs> what am I doing? Anyway, carry on, carry on. <laughs> someone would be like, well, if I was to say I'm proudly white, that would be a problem. Um, whiteness is in the culture. Let's just be honest, whiteness exists as the opposite of anti-whiteness. If you want to be proudly Scottish, high five. Wear your kilts, my friend. You know what I mean? If you want to be proudly Italian, do your thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And historically, historically, people that have worn whiteness as like a badge of honor have been harmful to people that were not white. Mm context of whiteness as a thing has been harmful towards people that are non-white wow my notifications are loud but uh but, <laughs> but you know what i mean so like so just just be mindful of what you're saying whiteness is not a culture mm -hmm. yeah and think it through and uh yes 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 okay that has me thinking yes. um okay it has me thinking in regards to leadership and talking about these topics when you're in a position of leadership and you also brought up and, and right now, sadly, there's a genocide happening 
with the people of Palestine. One of the most heartbreaking things I will forever be changed after we see through our phones just horrible things that are happening. Uh And, And then I had this question where, okay, there's a lot of talks about how we need to be vocal about helping vulnerable populations when our voices are so powerful. And yeah, a value of mine is to always, I I really like to use, do everything in my power to help vulnerable populations, because at least for me there, I, I have just experienced, at least from an immigrant perspective, prior to becoming a U.S. citizen and seeing in the news how uh, the media talks about immigrants and there's so much misinformation in the media. And I always felt like, man, if people only knew, but we, I can't, I, I remember feeling so powerless. And whenever there was someone with privilege that would speak up, I remember just feeling like relief, like, oh my God, at least someone, someone out there is like raising a white flag and caring. Yeah. And it has me thinking about how, because social media the way it is now or TikTok, the way things can go viral or whatever. Um, right now, I, I know that like there's a lot of talks of putting pressure on leaders or people with influence, um, like big social media platforms or positions of power, whatever, to speak up about what is happening in Palestine. Um but it, but but I just I know there are people that are like, oh, I'm really scared to get in trouble or I'm really scared to like this fear of losing opportunities. I want to hear from you from a leadership perspective, like. How, how what's the way leaders can handle this? Just what are your thoughts on the matter? I think it's really unfortunate that we have gotten to a point where humanity has been politicized. Right. It's. There are people dying. <laughs> there are people dying. And I understand that there's another side where people are afraid of dying. And that fear, okay, it's it, it's valid. It's a valid fear that they have. They've gone through a Holocaust before, and now they are afraid of dying. And that's why they are now exerting so much hurt onto other people. But can we just acknowledge the fact that there are people dying? <laughs> You're being afraid of dying and dying? They're sort of weigh the same things. You know what I mean? Um, I think from a leadership perspective, you don't have to be political in how you approach the subject, right? Um, but if you want to, I guess, and if, if your company allows you to, that's perfectly fine. I would say, though, also, if as a leader, after October 7th, you posted, you sent it out, you sent out an email, you held two meetings with your teams, um, you know, speaking out against the age group, and in support of um, Israelis, that's fine. And, like, that's fine, right? P- people were hurt. People were kidnapped. That's a terrible thing to happen. It is the silence after that can erode trust from your team because you were vocal when one part was being centered in the stories. But now that we are living in the, this is what, day 63? Of constant bombing in Gaza? Too long. Too long, yeah. And if you've been silent about this, this leg of this, I would generally ask you to ask yourself why. Why are you silent about it? Is it because you feel like you don't know enough? Then educate yourself. Is it because you're afraid to ruffle some feathers? 
then maybe start talking to your peers around why that is the culture in your company, right? Why, why is that? Why is that a reality for you in your company? Because then it means that when you say that you are all about diversity and inclusion, that may not necessarily be true. No. You may you may lean in that direction theoretically, but the the reality of what is happening is there is now, if you are not, if you are Muslim, Arab, Palestinian, mind you, Palestinians make up, I think it's one out of three um, refugees globally, a Palestinian. Wow. Don't quote me on that. I may have to look it up. I may, I may have to double check that, but I, I think... Mm-hmm. That's that's what it is. I, I think that w- that was the number that I came across. Like one in every three refugees globally are Palestinian. So there's a chance that there are people on your team that are Palestinian, right? If you held space for one side, you have to be fair and hold space for the other side. You like it's 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 the morally right thing because then if you're silent about this side of it, it means it, it communicates that you've taken a side. Yeah, and now you're not a leader for all your people. You are a leader for a very specific group of your people. Now your biases are very out loud and in our faces, yeah. or you are creating, you are you are leaving room for people to assume that you are biased in your approach. I was mm-hmm. talking to my I was talking to my former boss, and she reminded me of this, and she was like, you know, when you're silent, you leave room to make up. You leave room for people to write their own version of your story. Mm. Right? So silence is not your friend. <laughs> when something like this happens. At, at, at period. Just at, at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Being being silent, it just leaves people to just write their own version of whatever's happening in their minds and they'll run with it. It's, it's human nature. Mm-hmm. Your best bet is to make room to have these conversations. And if you don't know what to say, say that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a Paul side major to talk about this. Showing empathy does not require any geopolitics knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, holding space and checking in. You don't have to have a fancy degree for that. Yeah. Just check in with your people and if and Sometimes I think leaders are so caught up in being leaders that they forget their own humanity. Mm-hmm. Like it is okay not to know things as a leader. Being being yeah. a leader does not mean you have everything figured out. Mm-hmm. I can tell you with certainty, as a leader, you don't have everything figured out. <laughs> There's always room to learn and always room to grow, right? Mm-hmm. But if you find yourself in a space where you have a diverse team and you have people from different backgrounds, it's like like I said earlier, it, it it can be hurtful or harmful to the trust between you and your team when it appears as though you're taking sides. What if a company says that they care about BIPOC, which BIPOC is Black Indigenous people of color. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, black indigenous people of color. Of color, um, or they care about inclusivity, but they are just silent altogether with the with the reasoning of it's not our area of expertise, or we just don't want to get in trouble, or 
or like we're just a blog or we're just uh anyway what are your thoughts about that i hate my brain sometimes <laughs> uh, if you care about bipoc issues and your care about bipoc issues is only limited to the united states then you have some more learning to do because black and indigenous people exist across the globe boom Indigenous people exist across the globe and I know that, you know, the question of being indigenous to that region has come up a lot in tons of arguments. Um, and my response to that is people have moved around, right? Like humans have migrated often and a lot. In a day and age where we have things like DNA tests that can tell you what region your people are from, why are we even having this conversation? Yeah. Right. Um, and also, it's, it's what I'm finding happens a lot with people in the US, only because that's who I've been dealing with so far, right? Like white people over here is who I deal with the most, um, especially white liberals. Mm -hmm. It's as if, like, their level of care extends towards the people they know personally and anything outside of that is like meh meaning if if someone has black people in their lives they'll go hard for black lives matter because it's like you are gonna hurt my black friend and i don't want you hurting my black friend so mm -hmm. black people. but then you're silent about the abuse of black people on the continent of africa like, no, it's, it's the same thing, right? I We are too connected as a globe for us to be so, like, um, regional in how we look at these issues. So, yeah, if, if you care about BIPOC, sure, just ask yourself, are you, are you really just saying BIPOC here or BIPOC everywhere? Because there are Black and Indigenous people globally. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that's preventing you from learning or expressing concern or whatever, you know, you people are allowed to feel how they feel. I, I think, too, that I want to bring this back to the conversation about Palestine specifically. Yeah. I, I think people are also feeling like they need to be ashamed for supporting Israel. Do you just know that there are people that don't agree with you? Just like if you support Palestine, do you and understand there are people that don't agree with you? That's fine. But if if we're gonna sit here and bicker about politics when there are actual human lives being lost, is that the best use of our time? Mm -hmm. Right? Energetically, is that the best use of our time? It's it's one thing for us to bicker about the politics when there's no one actually dying. Mm -hmm. We can talk all day. <laughs> Because, yes, words can be harmful. But you know what else is even more harmful? Death. <laughs> Death. Very horrible. So, yeah. I don't mean to laugh, by the way, with... Because it's horrible. No. But it's... Just... I, I, 
I use humor to deal with trauma because it is traumatic. <laughs> As a South African that grew up in post-apartheid South Africa, I'm not going to lie. When Every time I hear the words apartheid, I am triggered. Mm. I'm triggered. Mm-hmm. I'm triggered even more because my dad was part of the ANC. So if... What's the ANC, D? Oh, the African National Congress, National Mandela's political party. National Mandela. <laughs> Nelson Mandela's political party. Hmm. So they fought the apartheid government, right? So basically, if 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 that if the ANC fought the apartheid government and Hamas is fighting the Israeli government, my dad would have been labeled a terrorist. And he was. Yeah. Because of the ANC were labeled terrorists by the apartheid government, which Israel supported. So then there is so much about that situation that is just like I'm learning now as an adult. Because again, we had our first democratic elections. I was nine. I was a kid. Right. So I I like my awareness about the politics of it all mm-hmm. was just not a thing. I have learned so much now about that era as a result of what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 like Already, I, because of who I was raised by, I will always side with the oppressed, period. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter who the oppressed is. If the situation was reversed and Palestinians were carpet bombing Israel, I'd be like, whoa, you guys got to relax. <laughs> what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's ingrained in some of us to always side with the oppressed because we are descendants of people that were at some point genocided colonized and oppressed mm-hmm. so from that understanding and that knowing i can also see how for someone on the other side of that if you are descendants of people that were doing the genocide people that were doing the colonization the people that were doing the oppression identity politics just dictates that nine out of ten you it, it this is going to be hard mm-hmm. it's going to be a hard thing for you to sit with mm-hmm and that's just part of humaning. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, 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 it's okay to identify with certain things historically, and I'm not saying these things were okay to happen. They have happened. Like let's let's remove the judgment from it. Let's remove good or bad mm-hmm. from the historical context. Right? Genocide, colonization, oppression—they have happened, and, and they're still happening. I think. Instead of looking at those words specifically because they can be triggering to some people, mm-hmm. ask yourself, is this harmful? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Does this have to be this way? Mm-hmm. Are there other options? Are we exploring all the other options? And really, if if your comfort is at the expense of someone's life, mm. How do you how do you reconcile that? Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile that? There were th- there there are tons of things that we can do as people before we get to the point where we are killing each other. I think violence is a very lazy response to anything, especially as a yeah. oh. oh yeah, yeah, it's a very lazy response to anything. Conflict is normal. Mm-hmm. Conflict is very much a part of. The human experience we're going to have things that we don't agree on it's fine violence violence is a choice mm-hmm. the choice yeah so 
do, do world leaders have to choose violence? No, it's so damn primitive. Yeah. And, okay, that has me an- another question that popped in my head. Just thinking of speaking up for vulnerable people, people that are being harmed, people that are oppressed. And, again, with, I think of what, I say white leaders because I just know that there are, I find that people that have experienced prejudice in some kind of way empathize with that feeling that at least I, I was speaking for me it's in my nature to like I know what that's like I it I I there's a drive for me in speaking up but I think of someone who maybe hasn't experienced like on a collective level in a community level systematic oppression or prejudice in a certain way and and an- another thing that I was thinking about was how as a as a marginalized person, sometimes when you speak up or you say controversial things, I think of it as like it's not like always a choice that's fun. It's like as a means of survival or just like the last straw of standing up for yourself. Um, maybe not always, <laughs> but but, no, 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 but I'm, I'm, it, I'm, go ahead, no, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> I see it as like an act of resistance, like and but kind of like out of necessity. It's not like they're the, a choice sometimes. I hope yeah. I'm making sense. Give me an example of what you're talking about. Like, I'll, I'll just speak for my experience. Can't speak for anyone else. But yeah. sometimes I get feedback of like, wow, you're so brave. You're so bold. You're so this. And I'm just like, I think I've had to shut down or quiet down my passion of, or or even honestly, how I grew up as a culture being Latina, just being, I realized that in my within my parents we're very honest and candid with one another and it's just it is what it is in some ways and and then and also me just having to find a way to survive um i grew up in salt lake city utah as a predominantly white space and for me to find a way to survive or even be myself i always kind of had like a little edge to me but i realized that i never wanted to be a hard ass or i never wanted to be hard it was just like I feel like that was like me standing up for myself, but it's not like, and it it was comfortable. And another thing is I've gotten very comfortable being controversial, even though I don't think I'm that controversial, but I've gotten comfortable just like, oh, this may trigger someone. And, And I've gotten comfortable saying that, but I just know that I have some white friends, I guess, white American friends. That are like, oh, I'm scared to speak up. I'm scared to get in trouble. I'm scared to get canceled. Yeah. And I just want to know your thoughts on do white people get canceled or if white people say something and it's problematic or maybe it's not problematic, but they get a lot of backlash even from their own community. What do you have? What are your thoughts on the matter? I have thoughts, but I want to hear yours. (laughs) I mean, I'm not a white person, so mm-hmm. I can't speak for white people. But as a black woman on the outside looking in, do white people get canceled? Yes. Does it only take an apology for them to get back into everybody's good graces? Yes. Does that apology even have to be an actual apology? Not really. Right. Um, perfect example. Oh, I don't. I don't. I'm not going to say her name. Um, a 
a comedian. Her family's from New York. Okay. She has she has a cousin or an uncle that's like a, a famous New Yorker. Um, she posted something on social media around this whole Palestine thing, and it was a it was a picture that labeled Palestinians as rapists, as killers, as you know every, every everything that's just a horrible thing. When she was called out for it, she simply deleted it and she kept it moving. And that was it, right? There, there was like no real recourse. Um, but we flip it around and I think it's still going on today. There's like Senate hearings with college presidents from Harvard, MIT, UPenn, and I think maybe there's a fourth one I'm, I'm not remembering, where these college presidents are being grilled because they have pro-Palestinian student organizations on their campus. Yeah. I don't think... I think white people get a slap on the wrist at most for being harmful towards marginalized groups when it's race when it's the lgbtq community it's different it's different it, it's the response is very different which to me has never made sense but okay cool because it's, it's not like we don't have bipoc in the lgbtqr community right but white people tend to get canceled more when they do something or say something that's a like offensive towards the LGBTQ community versus when it's just towards black people or non-white people, Latinos, Arabs, whatever. Yeah. It, it depends on what, on what the transgression is. Mm -hmm. If it's, if it's gender and sexuality related. Oh yeah. No, your career is almost going to be not out of 10. You'll be done. But if it's, like, if it's a racial thing, that's fine. And that's, we notice, we see yeah. it. Yeah. It doesn't make it right, but it happens. Yeah. I had thoughts about it in regards that I okay, think well, actually let's talk about it now. Cause I, I yeah. so, okay, the thought that I had about it was I just think that if you are a privileged American, Caucasian white person and you have a lot of money in the bank, you have a really nice career. I do think that you may ruffle some feathers. Maybe like some people will be mad at you or maybe your friends if you say something that doesn't agree with them. But like you're not losing your house like you're for the most part, like your well-being and things that way are not on the line. And sometimes yeah. I think that. I'll speak just from my experience, but like some. I don't know, I, I, I think sometimes like people don't understand how. Latinos or undocumented people sometimes just have to tolerate abuse and have to tolerate abuse in certain living conditions, abuse yeah. in the way they're treated, and you just kind of have to put your head down and deal with it. Um, but I think that a white person getting some backlash is like a very small price to pay. Sometimes we're standing up for what's right. And even if what they said was problematic, like you said, just an apology, something genuine actually does go a long way okay yeah so the consequences 
of being offensive when you're a person of color versus a, a white person are not the same. Yes. They're not the same. You know, um, I, for both of us, actually, I'll use myself right now. Like, I don't have family in the U.S., right? So if if I did something and suddenly couldn't get any work and had no way of, I don't know, was blackballed or whatever, what am I going to do? Right? It's not like I could just call up my mom and be like, hey, can I move in with you? Um, and that's just from, from being an immigrant, right? Not even a black person, just an immigrant. So when you add that layer, and, and that's that's the beauty of humaning, we are all so much more than one thing. I'm not just black. I'm a black woman. I am an immigrant. You know what I mean? Like th there are all these layers to my being. And with those layers to who I am, my life looks very different from someone who could also be black, but just has a very different reality than mine. Mm -hmm. But the common denominator here is that we are all people of color. We're black. If, if we're just talking about black people, we're just black. But if you're just talking about BIPOC, we're black and indigenous people of color. So the repercussions and the, and the consequences of, of being offensive are very different depending on what your labels are and what that means for your existence. Yeah. So, yeah. And, okay. And then just a few last questions I wanted to know. Um, I'm thinking is about Beyonce. I wanted to ask you about Beyonce. I know you love Beyonce. I know she's, I know who Beyonce is in your life. I just want to know. She's getting a lot of heat right now. Of everybody. Everybody is just talking about why isn't Beyonce saying anything? She talks about liberation, but yet her movie of her tour, the Renaissance, I think it was like the Renaissance tour. Yeah, Renaissance, her, yeah. Her movie. And was shown in Tel Aviv. And I just want to know, just what are your thoughts? I'm going to take my love of Beyonce out of this equation. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk about her as if she was not someone that I absolutely love. Um, a couple of things. One, she's human, right? And we all come with stuff. And our stuff dictates how we handle certain things, right? Um, I think her showing the movie in Tel Aviv, I, like... I don't know enough about like, actually, a lot of us don't know enough about conversations that we had prior to everything blowing up because she may have sold the rights to the movie to somebody. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like how do we know how much control she has over where the movie's shown today? Yeah. Right. Cause, cause it, it could have been like, okay, fine. This company's going to help me make the movie. They're going to do it. What I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, could she have come out and said, hey, don't show the movie in Israel or in Tel Aviv? She could. But what does that mean for her and the other things she has going on? Again, I'm not making excuses for Beyonce, guys. Let's let's just be a little bit realistic. And I think I, I, I did a TikTok on this, actually. Uh-huh. Beyonce is a person, an individual, and she's also a corporation, right? 
That corporation of Beyonce, the machine of Beyonce, is responsible for God knows how many other people outside of Beyonce and her immediate family. Now, can we say, well, you know what, between you and Jay-Z, you guys are fine. And then you also have to consider that too. Her and Jay-Z are together. And Jay-Z also is a corporation that is responsible for God knows how many other people. If Beyonce does something, how, how does that impact Jay-Z's business? Because mm. I'm, I'm just thinking, as a wife, if something I say can mess up my husband's stuff, I'm be like, mm, mm. well, <laughs> I'll journal about it. <laughs> I'll journal. Let me talk to God about it. Just, just give me a second. I'll talk to my friends about it. I'll talk to my mom about it. I'll talk to everybody but the public about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But also, her and Jay-Z are also very much notorious for doing things behind the scenes without necessarily putting their names in front of it. Right. So we found out during the Black Lives Matter movement, like in the summer of 2020, they had bailed out a whole bunch of people that were actually arrested for protesting. But they didn't post about it. So why is it that when when things like that happen, we're like, oh, thank you, Jay-Z, thank you for being for the people. But when they're not posting about this thing that we want them to post about, we want to get mad about it. She's aware. We know that she's aware. Solange posted about it. So there's no way Solange is talking about Palestine and she's not talking about with her sister. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we we also have to, as a, as the general public, stop assuming that we know everything that's happening in people's lives because we don't. We don't. Beyonce has to protect her brand. That's fine. If she's doing stuff behind the scenes and... um. And I, I don't know. Maybe she's not doing stuff behind the scenes. But all I know, like, I don't know. I'm just saying, I think a part of me finds it hard to believe that she doesn't care. That's my no. narrative that I'm running in my brain about her. Like, that. that's very hard for me to believe. Right? Um, and what do you think about people's comments of, and I'm just like, this is just reading on TikTok. Yeah. I just the thought that I had that it was like, well, billionaires aren't going to be what billionaires do. And what do you think? Well, billionaires are going to do what billionaires do. But what 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 do billionaires do? Are there going to be things that all billionaires do? Yes. Are there going to be things that other billionaires do that some billionaires don't? Sure. Mm-hmm. So why why are we making statements about this as if we have the full picture? Because we don't. Mm. Don't. And and this doesn't just apply to Beyonce. It applies to everybody. I oh yeah. This is a conversation I was having online recently with someone too, because they were frustrated that their friends weren't saying anything on social media. And I was like, I went through that. Like when this happened, I was like, oh dude, what's about Palestine? Yeah. And but that was my reaction, right? But then mm-hmm. I took a step back and I said, D, you don't understand everyone's situation. So my version of giving the people closest to me grace was when we talk about this in person, where do you stand? Because I understand that you may not necessarily feel comfortable being vocal about it online and on in, in, in public spaces. Because again, people are getting fired. People are losing their jobs. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, and f- for some people, that that's a lot to put on the line. 
and full transparency, I had to have the conversation with myself too because I was vocal about where I stood on my my social socials. But on LinkedIn, I've I've taken a very surgical almost approach to talking about it. LinkedIn is a whole culture of it's yeah. But that's the thing. So I I was like, so I so again, self-reflection, right? I was like, D, you in in a social space, yes, you're one hundred percent vocal. But in your professional space, you're still you're saying something, but you're not as blunt and out loud like you are in your socials. So you too are grappling with this. And this goes back to our labels, right? If if for some reason I can't get jobs, I'm screwed. And it sucks. Yeah. It sucks that it, it, it sucks that to support a movement of people that are being oppressed and systematically killed, that can cost you your job. Mm-hmm. And of course, now I've agreed to do this interview with you. And if people are smart enough to read between the lines, I know exactly where I stand. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's kind of where I am with with LinkedIn too. I'm like, okay, fine. I have set with this post. When I tell you I have written and rewritten this post, I'm finally posting it next week because I'm like, okay, fine. This I would rather work with people that know where I stand when it comes to the plight of an oppressed people. Then mm-hmm. people make feel safe while not necessarily knowing where I stand. Because that puts me in danger. Yeah. Right. That puts me in danger of now being accepted into a group because people assume I'm fine with genocide. And then once I'm in there and I'm like, uh, actually not. And now we're all panicking. Mm-hmm. And then I have microaggressions of people being like, oh my gosh, she's not born in Palestine. And like, I, I don't want that. I don't want those problems. I'd rather you just know what you're getting. Yeah. If there's a group of oppressed people. I'm always going to ride with them first. Mm hmm. Why even ask questions? And then I'm going to ask questions later. My 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 first my first reaction is stop the fire, and then we can debate the rest. But for now, there's a fire. Stop the fire. Yeah. Yes. Please, <laughs> please stop the fire. Yes. But like, just stop the fire, and then we can debate about it. Yeah. While the fire is going, there's no point in talking because people are dying. That makes no sense. So yeah, back to Beyonce. I I think that we. We need to remember that celebrities are people. Yeah. They are people. I I would feel a I would feel a way if someone that knew her personally was like, girl, she's down with the shits. That I'd be like, what? But I don't know anyone that knows Beyonce in real life. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that's what that, yeah. that's what I'm not gonna have. Well, you know what? I think it's very it's a transformational moment to bring your authenticity of your personal life to work. And that is a new era, I believe, as of right now. And I think it's a very personal and bold life-changing choice, I think, to, to bring those two. And I know there's many, many people that don't have that courage yet. So I think for... To to be to do that and make that decision that I'm like, okay, I'm gonna combine these two worlds. And um I had to do that with entrepreneurship and 
But I feel like entrepreneurship is a little different because obviously there's no boss. And <laughs> um, well, I mean, you do have your bosses, your boss are your clients. If people yeah. aren't going to hire you because of your affinity to a specific group, that's that's a real concern. That's a real yeah. fear. Yes. And I definitely yeah. went through that fear. I will say I'm at a place now where I'm so happy I led with, I'm like, I want to serve is work. I don't know. Just, I don't, I don't, I want to be myself in my business and I want to feel safe in my business in order yeah. for me to feel safe. This value comes on board with yeah. speaking up, at least what I believe is right of caring about vulnerable populations, whether it's disabled people, uh, trans people, queer people in general, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. My last question for you. Before we wrap up, I know we haven't talked a lot about spirituality, but I know you're a very spiritual person. We also bond a lot on just tapping into the higher powers and things in that way. And the last question I had for you is just what are your thoughts about manifestations um, when people are experiencing, considering that war is happening, there's systematic oppression, there is sexism, uh, people have different socioeconomic statuses. And some people are surviving. Some people are thriving. Kind of like yeah. life is everywhere. What do you think about just manifestation? And and I actually want to know manifestation when you are in a time of crisis. Um, so my brain is firing in different directions. I think. Okay. When it comes to manifestation in a time of crisis, I, based on how manifestation works, you cannot not be genuine in what you're calling in, right? You you have to have your thoughts, your beliefs, and your emotions around the thing have to be aligned to pull whatever it is you're trying to pull in. in. I also think that if in your mind, you have anxiety or you are riddled with fear. You need to get out of that first and then put yourself in alignment with what it is that you're trying to call in. Right? I, I think the rules of engagement shift a little bit when referring to people in the spiritual space that are just, you know, living their best lives as the people in the spiritual space versus leaders in the spiritual space. I look at leadership as stewardship, right? And if you are a steward of people, then you're a steward, especially if you are in this wellness space as we know it as it exists today in the western world right like the woo space if you're a leader in this space you're not only just responsible for the people in your immediate vicinity it goes beyond that because you can't believe in universal consciousness and then only limit your manifestations and practices to just your people so for leaders in the spiritual space There needs to be more intention around what we're calling in. 
I think for the past couple of years, it's been popular to raise the vibration. Mm. That's good. Raise the vibration. But in raising the vibration, what you're essentially saying is you want people to be aware, right? We're raising the vibration. The Raising the vibration isn't just, oh, I don't deal with bad feelings. No, that's that's bypassing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that is not you being high vibe. That's just bypassing your shadow, mm-hmm. right? Um, enlightenment. Enlightenment requires that you make friends with even the parts of you that you're not necessarily happy about, but you you look at them from a place of non-judgment and just accept them as what they are, right? Mm-hmm. And then heal from that space. Because if you avoid the things that make you scared, the things that hurt you, you're avoiding them, never addressing them. But if you address them and then heal them, you are able to then... You can recognize hurting in others and not be afraid to go at it. Mm-hmm. But if you never, rec- if you don't recognize your own hurt, you're going to not, you, people are going to hurt in front of you and you'll be like, oh, no, can't do that. But if you sat with your own hurt, it'll be very hard for you to see someone hurt and not want to help them get out of that hurt. And you, it'll be very hard for you to see someone hurting and not want to use your gifts and your spiritual influence and, I guess, um, not access. What's what I'm looking for? English is not playing nice in my head. I like what you said. You said <laughs> spiritual influence and right. So it's it's like it's it's very difficult to not to not use your spiritual influence. To help someone else. And it doesn't mean that you are taking on their hurt, but you are able to see their hurt. And then you also understand collectiveness, like the 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 power of collective consciousness, right? So if five of us are aligned in the fact that we want to manifest a different outcome for a certain situation that's not great, oh my God, that's powerful. But that, I think, is the role of spiritual leaders to create that intention and communicate the need for that intention. So it is very disheartening for me when, I, when I'm when i on social media and I'm seeing people still telling people to, like, manifest a car. I'm like, what? There are Americans that don't have homes, don't have clean water. Why are we still manifesting things that are very much tied to our ego and not things that are going to help humanity at large. Well, mm-hmm. and as a spiritual leader, you should, well, not should, because again, that, that sounds like I'm, it's coming from a place of, of judgment. As, as a spiritual leader, my hope is that it's it, it goes beyond things that benefit self. And we are starting to look more at the globe. Yeah. Are in all of this together. If you look at, I'm a huge fan of looking at nature to like give us hints of how to human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Working on a course on this, by the way. Yeah. Um, so the the concept of as above, so below, as within, as without, it, it it speaks to our interconnectedness, right? If you take the globe and make it into the and, and form it into a human body, if if there's something that is hurting 
your body in any part of it. Sure, the pain may be limited to just one part of your body, but your entire body is experiencing this pain, right? So from a spiritual perspective, if there is any part of humanity that is hurting, sure, I may not be feeling it directly, but I'm mm-hmm. experiencing as part of this body. Mm-hmm. So for me, it only makes sense that I do what the body does when it experiences like an infection. Like, why do blood cells go to the whole space and make you feel better? So yes. go to the space and make it feel better. Mm. Do what we can to help alleviate the issue where it arises so that the whole body can be better. Mm-hmm. Instead of just focusing on the little part that is ours. So yeah, yeah manifest away. Manifest away. There's nothing wrong with manifestation, but just make sure that you're in alignment. Um, and I think it's high time that we maybe look beyond serving our ego and self first and start looking at anybody else. I love that. What a beautiful way to end the show. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That manifestation, like looking at it as a collective too, like being being part of like the bigger picture, literally. Yeah, and it's and it's not to say don't put on your own mask first, right? Like, but at the same time, if even even with me saying that, it's like um, we we are very much individualistic in the West. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way of the global majority of the global South. Mm-hmm. And there's so much we can learn from the global South about community. Um, where in the West, community feels more like a club you, you have to like gain entry into versus a space that fosters healing and growth as a collective. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, like there, there are certain spaces, like in the wellness community spe- specifically, where it's like, okay, you 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 gain access and entry because you can afford it. Number one, mm-hmm. wellness practices out here are not cheap at all. Um, so you you gain entry based on your resources and who you have access to, versus, oh, we have people with a common cause with a shared language and a shared space. And that's what builds our community. And if we just moved more to, do we care about the same things? Do we have a space where we can congregate, whether it's online or in person, um, where finances aren't a barrier of entry? Mm-hmm. We did better. Mm-hmm. That's just my thoughts. So many better. things to think about, but... Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and heart, expertise, all the things. Uh, Wow, this is so packed with so much, so much. So thank you. Now, the last thing is where to connect with you. What can people expect from you? What if we want to know more? What are next steps? Um, My website is going to be up next week. So Nova Consulting, and also do the information you can tag it onto your thingy 
And I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I did change my last name back to my maiden name, by the way. I'm no longer Dean Nova. I'm Dean Tyler. Um, okay. <laughs> I'll send you that information. So LinkedIn, TikTok, and the website. And I part of my offering is creating a community on Thinkific for future leaders and current leaders where we can get together and have these hard conversations, right? Like, so how do you approach these these difficult subjects with your team or even better with your leaders and your peers? How do you, how do you become a culture um, champion wherever you are? So that's, I think that's, that's something I'm really excited about creating. And um, yeah. Yeah. And you have TikTok, right? I know you're active on there. What's your TikTok? It is NCXD, so N-C-X-D-E-E, um, and that's where you'll find me on the tiki-talkie. Amazing. Okay, well, thank you so much, and thank you, everyone, for being here, and we'll catch you on the next episode.